0: I don't know about you, but um, I really enjoy this beautiful weather. It's a little bit windy. Uh, it's been raining a lot. Uh, I know that we do need the rain, but, you know, God, you know, sometimes, you know, what rain is really, really kind of makes me melancholy. So anyways, right now, uh, I get to enjoy. Now, before, uh, I usually kind of give you kind of an introduction, but this morning, I, I want to do something a little bit special. I have a quote by Andrew Murray. Good. And it says, Pride must die in you that nothing of heaven could also be in you. I want you to kind of meditate upon this quote by Andrew Murray uh, as we actually dive into today's word that pride must die in all of us. If not, nothing of heaven could actually come inside. Okay? So let's pray. Father God, this morning we pray as the Holy Spirit would guide and direct our steps and to help our lives moment by moment, minute by moment, week by week, as we reflect the image of our Savior. Father God, we truly desire for that Jesus to live in all of us, and that Jesus would take full control of our lives, and that it is an I that no longer lives but Christ lives in me. Father God, I, this morning I ask, as we meditate upon this quote by Andrew Murray, if pride lives in us, nothing of heaven could live in us. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that would you allow us, Father God, to empty so that you could actually come and have your ways this morning. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the summer of 1986, two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia as hundreds of passengers died as they hurtled into the icy cold waters below. Now, the news of the disaster was further darkened when an investigation revealed the cause of the accident. It wasn't a technological problem like a radar malfunction or even the fog. The cause was sheer human stubbornness. You see, each captain was aware of other ships present nearby and could have steered cleared, but according to the news report, neither captain wanted to give ways to one another. Each was too proud to yield first. And by the time they came to their senses... It was all but too late. And Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before the destructions, and the haughty spirit before a fall. And pride is probably one of the oldest sin in the universe. And it shows no signs of weakening with age. And at times, it seems to get stronger and stronger as people move up. In the ranks. I mean, it was pride that put Lucifer out of heaven. It was pride that put Adam and Eve out of the garden. It was pride that dislodged Nebuchadnezzar from his kingdom in Babylon. And that's why C.S. Lewis wrote the chief cause of misery for every nation and every family since the beginning of all time. Because pride ruins everything it touches you see pride is your greatest enemy but humility is our greatest friend so with that kind of a mindset let's dive into today's passage today's passage comes from 1 peter chapter 5 verse 5 through 6 and this is what peter says Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God's resist the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Now, before we actually get into the heart of the message, Allow me to give you a backdrop of this passage or or this chapter. Now, these are the closing words from Peter, and he's writing it to several different groups. The group right before this passage were to the church elders, instructing them to feed and shepherd the flock by living it out with their examples and that they were to do it willingly and not by constraint. Now, after he addresses to the elders, he addresses to those who are younger, and then to the rest of the people, saying that we should be submissive and humble and humble ourselves before God. Now, Peter's audience were different people who were suffering. Did you guys know that 21 times in this letter, he addresses the subject of suffering, and gives a very stern warning even in the earlier chapter. Chapter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is about to come upon you. So he is writing to a group of people who are feeling the pains of suffering. And you see, when suffering is present... I believe a good leadership should be present also. Those who feed God's suffering sheep will calm the God's suffering sheep, giving them encouragements to, to make it through those difficult times of sufferings. But the church needs something else also. Not only does it need good leaders, but it also needs good followers because suffering will bring out the worst in people, the worst of attitudes, tensions, and conflicts. When people suffer, it will often resort to baser behaviors, tempers flaring, irritation mounting, accusations flying, and lastly, pride will rear its ugly head. And I've noticed that when churches go through times of sufferings or difficulty, the atmosphere can be very, very volatile. And there will arise those who, in the name of the righteous indignations, will start to challenge the leadership of the church. Now, hear me out, okay, guys? It is often, not always, the younger ones who will do that. Why? Well, they've really, really never trust anyone or older generations, and it's usually the older generations who are in the leadership of the church. It seems to me, at least in part, this is the setting of the chapter we just read. The pressures on the outside of the church have produced pressures in the inside, So then, what Peter is writing here is those who were younger and instructing them and then later on to the rest of the people. Now, hold on for a moment, Pastor Ben. Why are you picking on the younger generation? Now, there is a reason for it, and I will explain to you in the later, but regardless, whenever we hear a message targeting a certain group of people your defense mechanism goes up, right? But you see, Apostle Paul, Peter is not just targeting this one group, but that he has written a lot about submission in his book. You see, the theme of submitting or submission, humility, is the theme overall. If you read in chapter 2, verse 13, he writes, submit yourself every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. In chapter 2, verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters. Now, this verse is is not really pertaining to our culture today. So what if we substituted employers to employees rather than masters and slaves? And in chapter 3, verse 1, wives, submit to your husbands. Another controversial verse in our culture today. And in chapter 3, verse 22, Peter writes about angelic beings being in subjections or submission to Christ. So you see, he's not just targeting one type of a group, but overall in his book, he's actually giving out submission. Now, why? Why? Because I believe... Or in other words, submission is part of every single realm of our life because submission is a foundational attitude for all of us to live with. And so, he commands us to be humble or that we will stumble. Did you get that? I, I, I kind of... <laughs> that was pretty catchy. <laughs> Be humble or you will stumble. Come on. It was very hard for me to come up with that anyways. (laughs) And he instructs why this character is so vital in the church. The reason being that you cannot be saved without submission. Now think about that for a moment. In order for you to be saved... You had to have this repentive heart, right? Turn from what you knew was wrong, from your own self will, from your own previous choices, or even your previous knowledge that there is no God. This week, Milton and I were playing tennis, and Milton, you know what, he actually grabbed one person. And who actually is from Argentina, and he was saying, you know what? My friend just came back from Argentina. You should come to our church because we have great food, awesome fellowship, and people are great. And this guy looked at Milton's eyes and says, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm an atheist. I, I don't believe that there is a God. You, you see, before any of our conversions we were all like this person we all believed that there was no God Uh, but to repent means to turn around and to go in a new direction and thus the thrust of our sermon series the blind spot is really a specific cause for all those areas that we need to be repenting of. An act towards spiritual growth or maybe accumulation of the biblical knowledge. But sometimes, you know, biblical knowledge can also lead unintentionally to a path of pride. So we must crucify pride on that cross so that Christ could live in all of us. I'm reminding again Andrew Murray's quote, if prize lives in us, nothing of heaven could get hold of. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. Likewise, you younger folks. Now, why would Peter single out the younger folks? Now, I can't be sure. I can only guess. I can only guess by saying that often the young people are more impulsive, more aggressive, more headstrong, and they have a tougher time with submission. Now, I could only speak for myself, my own personal experience. As I was growing up, I remembered those tough times I had. Whenever my dad would say something about anything, I was very, very headstrong And I was very, very prideful. I've always thought that my ways were right. And when you are young, we feel like we've got the world by its tail. And and you know, I'm not the only one. Actually, there is someone in the Bible who actually felt the same mentality. After Solomon dies in 1 Kings 12, his young son, Rehoboam, takes over the kingdom. Now, those of you guys who who remember the story, the people under Solomon's rule had a very, very tough time being heavily taxed to the point of breaking the backs of the people. So when the young Rehoboam becomes the king, he decides that he will get an advice from two different advisors. One, the older group, who had been advised his father. The other one, his contemporaries, and much younger, a little edgier group. And now, when he sought after the advice of the older crowd, this is what the older crowd advised Rehoboam, you better listen to the people because they're on the brink of revolt. Now, when he actually went to his peers and got their advice, this is what the, his peers advised him Do not listen to what the people want, show them who's the boss. Assert your own authority over them. And this is about exactly what they told in 1 Kings 12, verse 10. Your little finger will be heavier than your father's waist. And that's exactly what Rehoboam did. And the people revolted. And we all know the kingdom split into the north and the south. And they have never recovered ever since. Now, this is where I'm going with this. You see, everyone is naturally inclined to proud assertion. We all have this kind of a younger mentality, this prideful mentality in all of us. Thinking that I don't need God I can do it my own ways. I am the master of my own ship. This week, um, we were having our staff meeting, and Pastor Eric was giving an example of what we were going through. And he remembers one of his college students. His name is Andy. And whenever Andy and Pastor Eric roommates, they were reading the God's word, and one day, Pastor Eric goes, Wow! You're really, really lighting it up. You see, his friend Andy was highlighting the Bible verses. And, and Pastor Eric was going, You know what? You're really, really highlighting. And Andy looked up to Pastor Eric and said, No, I'm just crossing out the verse, verses that I don't want to follow. And it stunned Pastor Eric. As a follower of God, One of his best friends was crossing out, highlighting the verses that really did not felt that he wanted to follow. And that's why Apostle Peter is saying humility and mutual submission should be evident of all people, all those who follow, all of us who believe. And that's why in the passage, God resists the proud but it gives grace to the humble. Why? Why? Because I believe that pride is the cancer of our soul. And if it's left undiagnosed and untreated, it will destroy our spiritual life. How? Um, how many of you guys have seen that um, Netflix movie, The Big George Foreman? Anybody? Anybody? Anyways, I saw it because one of my best friends said, you should see it because it's kind of a Christian movie, a boxer turning into a pastor, and I saw it. And in the movie, there is a fight between George Foreman and Muhammad Ali. Now, I always thought that Muhammad Ali was the coolest person. I've always thought that he was the greatest fighter. There was always kind of a debate between who's the greatest fighter, right? I've always thought that Muhammad Ali was the greatest fighter, but I didn't know. And during the fight of the century in 1971, Muhammad Ali said this to Joe Frazier. And I want you to take a look. There is not a man alive who could whoop me. I am too smart. I am too pretty. I am the greatest. I am the king. And I love this last one. I should be on a postage stamp because there is no way, this is the only way that I could ever get licked. I don't know about you, but you know what, that kind of like dismantled what what I thought of Muhammad Ali, the most arrogant and most prideful person during that time. You see, pride only thinks about themselves and is infinitely wiser, stronger, better than anyone else, especially the older generations and especially those who are in leadership. And when pride sticks his ugly hat out in the church, the church becomes very, very inward focused, not willing to look after the others. And as an inward church, first priority is to serve myself and itself rather than serving other people. But Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus set a perfect example for his followers, those who were kind of getting cocky and prideful. If you ever leave, who's going to take over the kingdom? And this is what Jesus said. I did not come to be served, but to serve. And I believe as followers of Jesus Christ, it is our responsibility as individuals and as a church is to serve others before we serve ourselves. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 42, do you guys remember how Peter came to know the Lord? Anybody? Did he all of a sudden see a vision from God or did he have one of those road to Damascus kind of a road experience? Do you know how Peter came to know the Lord? His brother Andrew brought him to the Lord. When Andrew found Jesus Christ first, he couldn't keep it to himself. He he had to tell Christ to someone else, anybody. And that's exactly what followers do. Disciples desiring other disciples. So Andrew goes back to his home family and tells his brother Peter, And do you know that if you read in the Gospels, whenever you hear the name Andrew, do you know what he's doing? Do you know what he's up to? He's bringing people to Christ. He was the disciple who founded the boy with five loaves and two fish and brought him to Jesus. He was the boy, he was was the disciple in John chapter 12, takes a group of Greek seekers and he also brings him to Jesus. And loved Andrew for that because, you know what, he's always bringing people to Jesus. But you know what, it's too bad that he's always known as his brother, Peter's little sibling. You see, if you read the gospel, Andrew is always known as Peter's little brother. He's always behind Peter's shadows. While Peter gets all the attention, Andrew never gets any spotlight. But I think that is a blessing. I think that is a blessing. Do you guys know that when personalized license plates were first introduced in the state of Illinois, The DMV had thousands and thousands of requests for the license plate that said, number one. (laughs) Number one. Thousands and thousands of people wanted the license plate number one. And with Andrew, he didn't mind being number two or number 200. He was just doing what, what Christ had told him to do. He submitted to his will and brought people to Christ. So that's why submission is necessary in the church. Submission in Christ. You remember when I said that we all have this kind of a pride assertion that in all of us, we have this younger mentality you know, sometimes, in my own pursuit of God, I become too preoccupied only with me. Sometimes when I'm searching in the name of the Lord, I realize that I am only preoccupied of who I am. You see, we spent way too much time of our time thinking about ourselves. And I think most people do. When we meet people, man, what did that person think of me? How do I look? How did I present myself? Why? Because I I don't know, because everyone is naturally inclined to be proud assertion. I, I mean, when was the last time you went around or thought about others first? Or or the fact that, you know, what you went around, I must be humble, I must be humble, I must be humble. Maybe that's why Apostle Peter commands us in verse 5, clothe yourself in humility. Now, do you guys know that actually that word, word is actually a very interesting word? Clothe yourself in humility. It is actually a borrowed term from a slave market. You see, there was an apron that the slave would tie around their waist. And what Peter says, clothe yourself in humility, is literally means to put on the clothing of a slave. And another translation, translate this verse as put on the overall or apron of humility. And that's the attitude. But isn't humility a tricky kind of a virtue? I say it's tricky because it's a virtue that if you think you have it, it shows that you don't have it. Right? I mean, you think, okay, I think I'm humble. Well, it just shows that you're not humble. It's one of those slippery virtues. And that's why D.L. Moody used to pray, Lord, Make me humble, but don't let me know. So I thought about that for a moment. It's a tricky virtue. And I thought, like, isn't humility thinking not badly about yourself, but rather it's not thinking about yourself? Let me repeat that. So humility isn't thinking badly about yourself, but rather it is not thinking about yourself at all. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, verse 6 tells us, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. When you submit to the human beings, I think it sometimes is very, very scary because other people may kind of abuse that privilege. They might take advantage of you, or, but as you, as a believer, but as a believer, are you aware of God's sovereignty? That you're resting in God's ability, his lordship. You're acknowledging his lordship in the act of submission that God is capable. And so you willingly are surrendered under the mighty hand of God. It's like going in for a surgery or going under the knife They put you under the anesthetic, and you go to sleep. I think that's an act of faith. You are submitting yourself to the capable hands of the physician in hope that in due times that that you will be raised up. So just as Jesus surrendered his will to the Father and went to the death on the cross, that God had raised him up. So as you surrender your will to God... It is in hope that he will raise us up also. Awesome. And God loves that attitude. God loves that attitude of surrender and submission and humility and compliance. Lord, have your ways with me. In one of my life verses is in Micah chapters, verse 6 through 8, which kind of says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And that's exactly what God desires for us. God wants us to walk humbly with Him. Humble ourselves under the almighty hand of God, in other words, trust God enough with your life so that you don't have to live for people's affirmation, but you are willing to wait for God's exhortation. You see sometimes people just live for and aim for pat on the back, the stroke of an encouragement, not that we shouldn't. We should we should encourage one another but sometimes some people live for that rather than waiting for god's promotion of our exaltations and now i'm going to give you how we could do that the solution was we actually wait on or we wait on god's hand and the best way that we could do that is by Not being inward focused, but rather outward focused. It's been about three months since we came back from TJ. And today we have a debrief meeting. And I'll be honest with you. Every time I think about the city of hope, those people who are living in the city of dump, I cannot help myself. As I'm picking up certain things, certain privileges that I have, uh, I find myself putting those down because I'm thinking about those people first. I'm realizing how much a blessing that I have, and yet those people are scraping for food As I'm going into the hot shower, I'm realizing those people in that city of Dump, and they're calling the city of hope, Esperanza. And I remember asking the staff, when was the last time do you think they had a hot shower? And they said, probably four to five years, as they were just top to bottom, just sheer darkness One of the ways that I find myself struggling with pride and I realize if I'm only focused inwardly it's going to actually escalate my who I am but rather when I am I still keep thinking about other people how could I serve other people usually following what God's example I find myself being humbled how do I live that kind of a life? Or how do you know if you are living that kind of a life? Remember, as I share that sometimes in my own personal search, in my own personal kind of, you know, holding on to the God that I find myself just being, searching my own self. I have a question that I want to leave this morning if you are living for yourself or you are living for others. The question of the day is, how often do you think or do you pray for others when you are praying? I want you to take a look at your own prayer life. How often do you pray for others when you're praying? Sometimes, I think, is the greatest kind of a, a litmus test where you, when you pray... It's usually for your own and your own families. And that's why I believe mission is the greatest source for us as a church not to become prideful. And next week, when we actually have that, you know, initial meeting, we're going to tell you about our mission plan for 2024. I'm excited. But the truth of the matter is, when we're inward focused, you're only focused upon yourself. When we are outward focused, when we begin to see what God is doing, and that you are part of something that, you know what, that God has given you the responsibility. Once again, I want to leave you with this. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want you to chew on that for a moment as we prepare our hearts for communion. God resists the proud. And I believe the quickest way to pick a fight with God is for us to be proudful. You want resistance from God? Be pride, Or be proud. But if you want to practice humility, serve others. So we have this in our, in our sermon series. We have these three chants. So this morning we want to announce, okay? We want to announce, one, two, three, that God calls us to join him in loving him and reaching out to the people who do not know him. We affirm that the Lord sends us out as workers into his harvest field. And number three, we will... Each commit to pray for and share Christ this year with at least one person. Milton, you don't have to do that anymore because you already did it. Seriously, guys, how many of you guys have actually shared the gospel with somebody this year? And one of the things that we gave to you guys was actually that little light, right? That little flashlight that we gave to you on Christmas Sunday, Christmas Eve service. When was the last time you actually shared the gospel of Jesus Christ?